Hey, I'm Kales, and I am a theater nerd. Oh, and I'm John Michael. I played a lot of baseball growing up. <laughs> You're a baseball bro. <laughs> My broski. You can call yourself a ba- baseball broski. Uh, yeah, and so welcome to our podcast, Sing, Batter, Sing, where we teach one another about our special interests and our favorite things growing up, because we did these things for almost decades, and we don't do them anymore and have nowhere to put this information. So we're going <laughs> to tell each other. It's true. Tell me I'm No, I'm laughing because it's 100% true. It's like, yeah, what else do I do with it? Yeah, what else do we do with all this information that we have? Um, And so for this podcast, yep, I will tell John Michael a story about something theater related, and he will tell me a story about something baseball related that I didn't know. And at the end of this, we will come away knowing more than we did previously. I think it's my turn to start first. It is your turn to start first. I get to be the, the, uh, the listener. This time. Yeah. So, okay. I'm really excited about this one. This one, guess what, yeah, Joe Michael? Text, it's gonna... You're texting me about it. You're I was. I'm so super excited. stoked. So, Joe Michael, I want to ask Did you watch Hawkeye mm, TV show? The Disney Plus show? Yes. Yeah. I watched the first episode. Okay, great. So, you remember that they did a Broadway musical of the Avengers in that? Um, Vaguely. Yes. Oh my God. This is this intro is not going to be as funny. I was all excited. Um, well, yes, Kales. I totally remember that. It was so funny. All right. <laughs> yeah. Fine. Well, do you know that that was not the first time a Marvel superhero has appeared on Broadway? This will be fun. Oh, yeah. We're talking about Spider Man Turn Off the Dark. Okay. Turn Off what? the Dark. Yeah. What, what do you, when I means. say Spider Man. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God, Joe Michael, you just like hit the nail on the head of one of my points and you don't even know it. When I say Spider-Man turn off the dark, what do you know? Anything about that? Because it did. I'm not shitting you. It made national news. I, I just don't know why you would, wouldn't say, you know, turn on the light. You know, why, why are we yeah. going for the negative, the double negative, it feels like, of turn off the dark. Not that, you know, dark's always negative, but you know what I'm saying. So like, um, I, it's... You know, a lot of the times I can come up with something. I don't know shit, dude. I don't know a, yeah. a damn thing. Did you know that? Did you know that? It. Did you know that Spider-Man had its own musical? No. You didn't? I, I didn't I didn't know that there was ever crossover between comic books and theater. Oh my god, there a hundred percent was. It is the most expensive Broadway musical in history at seventy-nine million dollars is what was spent to put on this musical. Like what, what is that going to cost? Like that's like paying everybody all the pro, like all the costumes, everything just to put on one show. It's $79 million. No, no, no. The whole show, the whole run of the show. Right. So how long it was on Broadway rehearsals, paying everybody to give you some context. The second highest is Shrek, the musical 27.6 million. So Joe Michael, that's a gap of almost $50 million. That's the gap. (laughs) So that's what I'm sure. Well, we're going to get to that. So and just, to give, just to just to give even more context, right? Hamilton, Hamilton, the the musical we all know and love, and is such a sensation. Twelve point five million dollars was its budget. So this show that's cost. Just, that's at, just economical because I know Hamilton's made more than twelve million dollars. I'll tell you. Right, that. right. So I'm just saying, but that's how much it costs to put on the show, right? So this show costs to put it on seventy nine million dollars. And this show was a big deal because this came out right around the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies. Um, and so it was kind of the resurgence of superhero movies. And it was before Iron Man, before Disney bought Marvel, all of it. Yeah. Um, that this was coming in. And so they were like, let's make Spider-Man sing and let's put him on Broadway. I'll give you two guesses as to who they got to do the music and lyrics for this. It's a person, you know, 
Phil Collins. No, he wouldn't <laughs> stoop so low. One more. Give me another one. Although white, although white 80s rocker dude is not far off. Sting. Bono. Oh, that makes sense. Bono <laughs> and the Edge did the music and lyrics for it. Um, Glenn Berger was the writer. And then Julie Taymor is who they got to be the director on the show. Julie Taymor is... Uh, one of the, if not the first female director to win a Tony and for the Lion King. So all of the Lion King was her of how like the costumes, that production, the big opening number of the circle of life. You've seen parts of the Lion King the yeah. musical. So that's Julie yeah. Taymor. That's what she's known for. I'm being honest, like talking about just that of musicals that I've seen bits and pieces of, like I actually genuinely wanted to go see the Lion King. I was like, that's probably dope in person. Like I can only imagine. It, so. I, I've seen it twice and it's incredible. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Sure it's, that's the yes. one when, when we did take you to New York, we did try and get tickets for that or Aladdin were the two that we were going to thinking about going to, but then right. I spent way too much money on Hades town and guess what? It was worth every fucking penny. <laughs> Anywho, believe it or so not. And I three nights up, in a row or whatever the fuck. <laughs> I, did, I ended up seeing, I have seen Hades town. I think five or six times. I'm going to go today. I, go tomorrow. I'm I did when it was on tour. Today. That's what he's talking about. <laughs> I went like, I think I went like five times in two weeks. Um, Cause it was in Denver for a limited run, but Actually, this show has more to do with Hades Town than you would actually suspect. When you say Spider-Man the musical, like theater people cringe. It's infamous. Infamous about how fucked up it is. Ooh, next and I theater use infamous person I meet, though. I'm gonna just say it. I'm just gonna like sneak up behind him. No, you what you should like, say to fuck up somebody is my turn off the dark they're like, ah, why would you say that? Oh my god. If you go <laughs> theater, if you meet a theater person, like if you're going on a first date and you don't like this girl and you want her to walk the fuck out and she says she's a theater person, you should say, Oh, my favorite musical is Spider-Man turn off the dark. She'll get up and walk the fuck out. <laughs> that is incredible advice. It's an instant, instant, instant just- yeah dates yep. over <laughs> it's that bad so the other thing to note of this is that the producers for this show which are basically the people that get the money so that the show can go right right they invest um, the money the, in hopes of yeah, making the best the way the best way to learn about a director and a producer and what the difference is is the director runs the ship the producer owns the ship if that makes any sense. Mm, mm. So that's kind of how that goes. So the producers are important in this. And we have two producers in this story. We have Tony, Ab- Tony Adams, excuse me, who is like a veteran Broadway producer, like won awards, knows what he's doing right there. And then he had a mentee, David Garfinkel, who was like brand new and never done it. He did like banking and stuff beforehand. And he had no idea what he was doing, but he always loved Broadway and musicals and he wanted to get in on it. So Tony Adams was like, yeah, get on Spider-Man, turn off the dark. It's going to be amazing. So they get this amazing creative cast together of Bono, the edge, Glenn Berger, Julie Tamar, all this stuff in. They're about to like sign the rights and stuff. It's October, 2005. Suddenly Tony Adams, the producer collapses out of nowhere. Oh, shit. They take him to the hospital. He's DOA died of a stroke. Before any of this is shit. Dang. So the only lead producer left on this is brand new green David Garfinkel. So it starts out with a $52 million budget, which is already fucking huge. That's how much they managed to raise. It was a wild, wild budget to be able to do. And you saw a bit in that clip, like they just let Julie Tamor go ham on this and by the way this is also not the first time that a superhero has appeared on broadway in uh, 1966 there was the it's a bird it's a plane it's superman musical it's a bird it's a plane it's superman yeah no but also remember 1966 like 
They were mm-hmm. determined. Julie Tamar, they just kind of like let her freak flag fly in terms of what she needed. They wanted like flying cameras, like based off of what the technology used for the NFL. They wanted those cameras. They wanted tricks and flips and they wanted it, it, have it be look like a Cirque du Soleil performance, right? Is like kind of what they were going for, right? Yeah. But here's the deal. The theater that they had rented to do this and that was going to be their Broadway theater was called the Foxwoods Theater. The Foxwoods Theater was built in like the early 1900s. I'm talking like 1905 to 1930. <laughs> this building is like a historical motherfucking site. Do you it's know that? It's not made for old- Cirque du Soleil. It's not made no, for that. <laughs> it's not. It's an old ass fucking theater. To give you some context, I might go like, do you know the movie Young Frankenstein? Mom's made us watch yes, it several times. Yes. Yeah, with, uh, that one you Gene, know. So there's what's his name? Wilder. Gene Wilder. Yep. Good job. Mm-hmm. Good job. Thank Bonus you. Bonus point. Gold <laughs> star, John. So the Thank Young you. Frankenstein, the musical, was the show that was previously in that theater. Did not have high-flying wire bullshit of like what you saw in that preview. So they have to do a complete reconstruction of this theater and have to get permits after permits after permits after permits to redo this theater yes. to, to get this huge conceptual high-flying fight bullshit that they've got right but they have to like take pieces out of the theater and put them in storage because they're historical preservation right so this is huge not to mention the fact that yeah i know just find a new theater (laughs) no 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 no, john michael all the broadway theaters are like this all the broadway theaters. oh they're all old this is not yeah we're gonna go we're gonna do an episode on the history of broadway but this is not like there would have been no theater on broadway that could have handled this Oh, uh, okay, okay. Not a thing. Okay. Not a thing. I was like, Why just save yourself the hassle. Sense. Like, find a, yeah. find a. Okay, I get it. So they're having to do all yeah. these permits and all these changes. Yeah. And all so this it's set stuff. to it's it's set to open in 2010. But here's what's also happening during that time: the 2008 recession. So that's not fun. Mm. So yeah. So investors are pulling in and out, and this brand new producer, whose whole job is to try and get money, is like, I don't know how to get money for people and they're like trying to do this like i said renos for the theater and they managed to do this huge ass budget john michael it's like such a fucking waste of money they were just so in the hole they had to postpone the opening like two times it was ridiculous and every day this continuously costs money for renovations paying the actors paying the crew having to do reconstructions on the sets as things get changed and edited and rewritten and all this stuff they're thinking what the fuck are we gonna do with this project do you know when Disney bought Marvel? Uh, that was, I feel like somewhat re. It was like 2013? Nine. 2009 oh. is when Disney bought Marvel. Yeah. Mm. So Disney bought Marvel. Oh, yeah. Because Iron uh, Man came out in like 2008, right? Yeah. So they were like, okay. golden ticket. We've got the golden goose of all the best. Disney didn't touch this project with a 10 foot fucking pole. <laughs> yeah. Disney knew. They were like, yeah, no. No, no, no. Disney. Okay. But I'm saying that your shit's got to be really bad for the mouse to reject it after just buying all these rights for these things. Right. Did they have the rights for Spider Man, though? Because didn't Sony have the rights for Spider Man or something? It's like also that? Disney. They could have figured it the fuck out. They did later. That's true. Yep. If they wanted to. That's what you're saying. If right. they wanted if they to wanted do the project, to. they could have figured it out. They yeah. could have done it. But this was such a shit show and it was <laughs> bleeding money dry. So then Bono is like, fuck this. And he decides he's going to go behind the producer's back, the, the green producer of David Garfinkel, and go get a more like seasoned producer. So he does in Michael Cole. 
And the other guy gets fired, let go. And they're like, it was like, you were like a Nepo baby. You should not have gotten this. You don't know what you're doing. You're the problem. Guess what? Hi, he's not the problem. There's way more problems. So then they have delayed the opening for the second time, but they distract everybody by being like, look at this amazing all-star cast we're going to get. They have Spider-Man is going to be played by Reeve Carney, who is the lead of Orpheus in Hadestown. Evan Rachel Wood, who's a very popular actress. And then Alan Cumming is going to be the Green Gomet. Joe Michael, do you know who Alan Cumming is? You do know who he is, but I'm going to pull something out of the deep recesses of your brain here. Mm, Not off the top of the noggin. I don't. If I say he is Fluke from Spy Kid. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I know exactly who Alan Cumming is. Yep, there you go. just core memory yep. unlocked, like, just like boom, the sound <laughs> I was like, sound effect face here. just right in, right in my. I was like, oh, yep, I know who Alan Cumming is. Yep, that's so hilarious. that's who he is, and so he's a Broadway. Like he's, I could do a whole episode on him. I love him. I've seen him live perform at his concert. He's incredible. So fucking loves all this kids. happens, right? They sign on. They have to delay the opening again. John Michael, mm. there's still so many technical issues. One of them includes the injury of the stuntmen. And this starts a slew of really life-altering catastrophic injuries that happen to people on this set. One of which in a preview that they were doing for people includes one of the stuntmen fell before previews and broke two of his wrists as he was trying to save himself from a, a like a 20-foot fall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Ouchie. that's the first, dude. It gets worse. So this is already, like I said, bleeding money dry at this point. So Alan Cumming and Evan Rachel Wood cop out of the project. They're like, um, we have scheduling conflicts. Peace out. Bye. Um, they get an actress you don't recognize for MJ. And then um, the guy who plays Hades in Town, Patrick Page, plays the Green Goblin. So then finally, 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 in November of 2010, the show opens to previews. Do you know what previews are, Joe Michael? It, well, I mean, in I the guess- theater. In the theater world. <laughs> Maybe like a mini performance. Maybe like this. So like it's, yeah. So what it is. The is baby, that baby performance. Or they it's, do like it's, one, it's, 30 seconds of a song or something. No, it's a full show. And it's to a oh. full paying audience in the theater. But a preview is like getting an audience to see your dress rehearsals. So you get to see laughs. You get to see what works. So it doesn't work. What people respond oh, to. And cool. then. The show is fully locked in, cannot be changed, copyrighted, stamp, sealed, signed, sealed, delivered on opening night. And usually previews are like two to three weeks, like a month max. Okay. Mm -hmm. So this very first preview, John Michael, are you ready to hear all the shit that went down? You've seen shows. You know what, how this shit's supposed to go, right? Yeah. I mean, I've seen good shows. Yeah. This is everything that goes wrong. The show starts 24 minutes late. Good start. Yep. Set pieces were completely missing. So there were actors just swinging with nothing to land on. (laughs) (laughs) They just keep swinging. The actress who played that spider, Arachne, one of her, there was a technical failure and she was left suspended in the air for eight solid minutes while they tried to figure out how to get her down. During the show. Yeah. In front of a live audience, dude. Good night. There was one moment where Spider-Man got stuck swinging back and forth and they could not stop him swinging. Again, another technical error. And so the audience got to see stage management run on stage trying to catch him by the foot. 
to try and get him to stop swinging. They're probably like, it's like one of those things where like, if I'm sitting in the audience, like watching it, I'm like, is this what this show is supposed to be? Is it supposed to be like, like what's that one Peter Pan show that the show we, that goes wrong, the play the that show goes that wrong. goes wrong. Yeah. The play yeah. that goes wrong where like it's, it's on purpose and it's fucking hilarious. Like it's there so would good. have to be a moment where I would have to be sitting there being like, is this on purpose? Like, is this supposed to be happening? Oh yes, dude. Oh yeah. <laughs> they're like, no, no, none of this is planned. Like we're actually trying to put on like a regular musical here. <laughs> yeah. Intermission. John Michael lasted 40 minutes long. What are typical intermissions? 15. Mm, mm, three times yeah. as much. Uh-huh. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. And my favorite of what happened that, oh, there were two more things that happened. So um, an actress was uh, in the pit waiting for her entrance to come up and a carabiner fell down from the rafters and hit her in the head and gave her a concussion. Yep. The perfect and, storm. And they had to cut. They, the show she turned early. on the dark. That turned on the dark. Uh huh. Yep. And then, <laughs> and then the show had to cut early because the ending was so messy and not working that they just ended it abruptly out of nowhere. <laughs> and the show, scene. the show was a full hour longer than it was supposed to be. Oh my God. Because of all the technical issues. So, needless to say, this was bad. It was awful. I would even and, use the word abysmal. I would use the word abysmal. Yep, I was abysmal. An embarrassment. Embarrassment, right? But do they stop? $76 million embarrassment. Do they think we should stop? We should probably stop this. <laughs> this is like, this isn't going to work. It's not going to happen. It was a fluke. No, John Michael. It was a fluke. It was a fluke. No, John Michael. They double down. They double down. <laughs> So much so more that money. Pre- keep pumping more money into it. No, it's true. <laughs> it's true. It's so true. They double down. The previews go into 182 previews. Which You're is fucking kidding me. 182 times they, did they perform they... this music. They perform <laughs> no this musical way. 182 times before opening oh day. Oh my gosh. That's 182 like once every other day. Hey, that's one time every other day. Oh my lord. It's ridiculous. And, how... they, and what? Like, are they learning anything from it? Or are they just like, oh, like we still couldn't get it right? Try it again. Like, well, it's not they're like, learning. It's not like just takes for a movie. Oh my god. They gosh. learn, they learn uh what happens when OSHA gets involved. Do you know what OSHA is? Um Remind like workers some right. organization yeah some yeah like workers rights crap. and injury like for the nation yeah right so osha ended up finding the production twelve thousand six hundred dollars because one of the stunt doubles chris tierney in the middle of a performance and literally 10 minutes into the performance so you saw him running along that balcony right that he was like slow moving yeah. running brooklyn bridge behind him he's supposed to jump off that shit within the first five minutes of the of the show um, dude jumps off. His safety harness is not there. Uh-huh. Broken. Dude falls 30 feet into uh-huh. the pit. Crashes. He breaks four ribs, fractures his skulls, and breaks his elbow. Yeah. Dude, rush. Performance stops five minutes into a paying audience. This shit's on film, dude. And, mm-hmm. Okay. Like, the no, no offense to the guy, but, like, did he not know that his safety harness wasn't on? Like It broke. Okay, I thought the guy was just like running and like didn't have it on. No, 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 like, no, 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 no. Like, he had on the guy. No, no, no. Like <laughs> he had his shit on. He had his shit on. It was not attached to the anchor. Oh gosh. Uh mm-hmm. huh. 
Somebody mm-hmm. got fired. Or probably not. Yeah, well, they, they probably got fired. They promoted well, them. They probably promoted them. You can't even say quit when you're ahead because they're not nope. ahead. No, they're not. They're just, it's thinking and seeking. That's why this is so, like, in the Broadway community, this shit is so, this is so much tea. Um, so then. It's a national news. It made national news. Yeah, because of all these injuries and because of oh the fact gosh. that, like, it's, it's Bono and Julie Taymor. Like, it's got big fucking names on it. So then they decide, remember how they said the producer was the problem? They're like, yeah, no, it's the writer. They kick the writer off and they bring in a new writer. <laughs> Who's completely changing the story? It's it's Roberto Igueras Acosta. And it's the story. It's the plot. It's the plot. It's the plot. That's the problem. Not the fact that the guy's falling thirty feet and breaking his ribs. Yeah, the plot is bad. So they're like, we're gonna fix this. It doesn't get better. They have to start and stop previews several times throughout January to May of uh, 2011. Like start and stop and start and stop because of all the production issues and money and bleeding dry and the story changes and all this stuff, right? So then comes the implementation of what is called by Julie Tamor in court documents, Plan X. Plan X was apparently the plan that Bono and the producers and the new writers came up with behind Julie Taymor's back to say, and they decide they need to get rid of her. So they hire this guy who does like Circus Soleil directing. He directs those shows. They get Taymor removed. She sues them, which costs them more money, like $150,000 for royalties and director's fees and shit. They get a new director. They're like, okay, we fixed everything. We've got our new people in place. Julie Taymor isn't running around wild, just spending all this money, revamping the Spider-Man story, everything. And finally, 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 a year and a half later from the original opening date, June 14th, 2011, Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark appears on Broadway. It opens. So do you want to hear some reviews? Of course I do. (laughs) Okay. It was called... A boar, a mm. bloated monster, shrill insipidness. <laughs> that one's good. And one of the worst musicals ever made. <laughs> and from, from those reviews alone, it should have died. But guess what? It sold out straight for two months because of the bad press. Because bad press is still press. And people wanted to sh- see the How shit show that this was. I'm going to show you how bad this show is, Joe Michael. I'm going to send you a link to one of the songs. A Freak Like Me Needs Company. I cannot wait. Song Are you ready? by the Green Goblin. Are you ready, listeners? Are you ready? <laughs> Are you I'm not going to make you watch the whole thing, but... Are you prepared? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, oh my goodness. You know, this place is celebrating to the sun. God, this is bad. <laughs> this is really bad. Okay. Like, you know what it is? It's yep. like, like, this is like something that would be put on in like, just, I don't know, like, 
like a drama club or like like just you know some people just come up with like some weird ass shit that they just are like yeah i'm gonna make this and it's like dude not not hating on anything about the creative process and like people can make whatever they want but the fact that this is a broadway musical is like oh good night (laughs) good yeah can you just describe for me what the green goblin looks like to you he looks like a cross between a lizard an alien and <laughs> a fucking like court jester i i don't know like a like an ass cheek dude like, <laughs> like it it's bad it's yeah. real bad he yeah looks he looks like an amoeba yeah like, like a single celled organism, like, like E. coli or something like, yeah, please. So finally, January 4th, 24, uh, 2014, the show closes at the end of it. They had no injury insurance money. The initial curiosity waned. They could not keep this lasting. So one thing to note about Broadway shows, John Michael, is that only a quarter of Broadway shows ever recoup the cost and turn a profit. Really? Yeah. So they just make them just because they love it? They're like, yeah. Well, yeah, but some of them, like Lion King, has made billions of dollars and has not left Broadway since two, 1907, uh, 1997. It's been on Broadway your entire life. And still just cooking, just still yep. cruising along. So Amazing. Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark cost $1 million a week to make and sustain itself. Ultimately, it cost investors $60 million dollars that's how much they lost and rumor has it and math people did math that that show would have had to run for seven years straight in order to make their money back and break even jeez louise do you think a show that is called shrill insipidness and a bloated monster one of the worst musicals in history ever had a chance of running for seven years no because yeah. again, like people go see it for two months and then they're like, okay, this really is horrible. Like it's gotta yeah. be a good show to run for that long. Like right. So here's the deal, John Michael. Even without all of this production drama, the lawsuits, the interchanging of hands, the crazy renovations that they had to do, just the the deep money pit. So even without all of that, this show would have fucking flopped. Right. So it's not just the fact you notice they say things like bore, bloated monster, shrill insipidness. That has nothing to do with the production value, the costumes, any of it. It has everything to do with the music, the storyline. The performances were praised, but they were basically like, you can only polish a turd so much. Yeah. What'd you learn? (laughs) I learned that people need to be smarter with how they spend their money. So, like I said, Spider-Man turned off the dock. I love that people need to learn how to strap on safety harnesses. (laughs) (laughs) So, ended up being um, six hospitalized injuries over the course of that run. Oh, my gosh, dude. I learned that. I learned. Seven, if you include the fact that the producer fucking died right up front. I learned that you need to know when your shit stinks. (laughs) Yeah. And just know when to losses, dude. Yep. Sixty oh million dollars it cost investors. Dude, I, the the craziest part of everything is that, that it they did one hundred and eighty two previews. That's the thing to me. That's the like, previews. It, that's not even the run of the show. If you don't get it after like ten. <laughs> you need yeah. to be done. Like you gotta quit. Like like ten. Ten's the max. Like you do ten shows and like no, you no, get no, no, no. It's- you make adjustments. 
it's like, okay, 30. I don't even know what the normal amount of previews is, but I know it's not 182. That's an insane number. Tell me the average of how many previews, how many normal previews shows do. Because I think 182 is insane. Like 182 practices before you get to the game? Broadway shows typically spend two to five weeks into previews. And so if they do eight shows a week, that's anywhere from 16 to 40 shows. Exactly. Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's all i'm saying exactly that's that's absolutely bonkers to 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 just be in such denial of how bad it really is to literally do it 182 times i can't even like fathom that like who like and how many people are working on it like how many like nobody while this was going on was just like dude this is garbage like, like, nobody just looked at it and was like, this sucks. Like, why the hell are we making this? Like, this is so bad. Like, nobody had that thought. Everybody thought it was fine. Everybody's like, you know what? We believe in this. We believe in this. Like, this is going to this is gonna work. We're going to get this. Like, So there's, there's actually interviews of them reading bad reviews to Bono and The Edge. And they're like, and then she's like, what do you what do you say to these reviewers? He's like, oh, no, we agree with you. And there's sometimes where the producers were like, if you could go back and do it again, what would you do? Um, I'd fire Julie Taymor or not hire her ahead of time that she's gotten a lot of shit for this or just never join the project at all. That's insane. Yep. So uh, also, in case anybody wants to learn more of it, um, the original writer, Glenn Berger, wrote a book called The Song of Spider-Man, Inside the Story of the Most Controversial Musical in Broadway History. So if you want more tea, you can go read that. But again, it's very much from his perspective, so probably biased to some degree. But yeah, so that's that's my lesson for today. <laughs> that's a good one. Yep. All right, everybody. So now we're transitioning. Um Away from the world of superheroes. Yeah, and into the world, uh, the crazy realm of fandom. So what we're talking about here is we're going to go over like the three famous curses in baseball. Um, (laughs) Do I get to finally fucking learn about the curse of the Bambino? And the Billy Goat. Yes! (laughs) <laughs> I, okay the reason hold on quick backstory i went to college north of chicago and i had never been to chicago I, the first time i went it was like fucking walking into disney world i loved it it was amazing i love that city but i gotta be completely fucking honest with you the amount of fucking lore and fandoms of the cubbies and the white Sox is something i never experienced before again I had the Rockies. The Rockies are younger than I am in terms of a baseball team. But these two are like legendary. And so I didn't know what the Billy Goat thing was. I didn't know what the fucking Curse of the Bambino thing is. And to be completely honest, I'm sure that somebody told me at some point during college, but I didn't retain that information because I was like, it has to do with sports ball. I don't care. Like, but (laughs) it's, it's something that I've heard enough about that. I'm like so excited to finally fucking learn what this is. So yes, bring it on. Yeah. It's incredibly fascinating. Literally what a curse is. So it's like a curse is like, it's basically like when your team is sucking for like a really long period of time, like it just kind of happens like with lore and legends and like, just it kind of happens in this organic process where like fans start to be like why do we suck so bad right like why do we suck and they blame it on some like crazy event like like a curse right 
versus just like acknowledging like their team just really freaking sucks. Because the curse is more fun. It's more fun storytelling. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 you know, it's a coping mechanism. People get desperate, you know, when you haven't won anything yeah. for like 40 years. So the first one we're going to talk about is the Curse of the Bambino, which is not uh, the Good Times sandwich. So the Curse of the Bambino is based off of one of the best baseball players of all time, um, Babe Ruth. Okay, so Babe Ruth had all these... What? <laughs> What? I didn't know. What? Okay. Yeah. So Babe Ruth had all of these nicknames. Okay. So like he, he, Babe Ruth is just an incredible baseball player. Babe Ruth had a bunch of nicknames. Okay. So he was called the Sultan of Swat, the Titan of Terror, the King of Clout. God, did they like alliterations or what? Like were they all English <laughs> majors? Like who the fuck came up with this shit? I, I guess know, it's fans. like 1940s and 50s marketing for you. Uh, early, actually, uh, teens and 20s. Teens and 20s. Oh, he was earlier. Okay, cool. Yep. Um, Even yeah, worse. And, and his last name, and the last name is the Great Bambino. And so if anybody, if anybody that's listening to this and if has seen it, it's iconic. In the, the movie The Sandlot, okay, which is like this amazing baseball movie about like these kids that just, you know, they're they're growing up in like that era-ish. 19- you want to know a secret? What you've never seen? It. Seek- I've never seen the Sandlot. We're gonna have to watch that. <laughs> um, <laughs> if you go to any baseball player in America and you talk, you say the movie The Sandlot, they will know exactly what you're talking about. Really, I can Overfield of it. Overfield of oh Dreams. Oh my god! Oh my gosh! It is the most iconic movie. I I would argue that all day long. I don't think there's any any baseball player that has ever played. Or is currently playing that doesn't know the movie The Sandlot to an extent. Wow. I, mean, I don't know about I don't know about these younger generations or whatever, but like everybody that oh I Oh my god, you're not that older. old. Shut up. Move on. <laughs> He's called the Great Bambino. And in that movie, there's like this uh, iconic. I had a scene. missed opportunity. I should have said move on. You're killing me, Smalls. Ah you haven't seen it though, so you can't make that joke. That's the one uh, line I know. <laughs> so so that that is actually it. the scene. That's actually the scene is where they're literally like so he's it's like this new kid and he comes to town and he doesn't know shit about baseball and all these kids like baseball is their life so they're like yeah like you know they're calling him like the sultan of swat the king of clout the titan of terror the great bambino or whatever and he's like and he's like who's the great bambino and then one of the guys goes oh my god you're killing me smalls like because <laughs> the kid just doesn't know like what it is yeah. okay. so and you know babe Ruth's like their their hero okay so Babe Ruth used to play for the Red Sox uh, and he actually helped them win three championships in 1915, 1916 and 1918. OK, so the Red Sox were like an absolute powerhouse back in the early 20s. But then for whatever reason, they had the brilliant idea to sell them to sell him to their rival team, the Yankees. OK, for one hundred thousand dollars cash. That's it. Why was somebody had a gambling debt or like, I, I don't know. We don't, they, they just, we don't know. They just were like, yeah, like we want to trade him. Like what else was in the room where it happened? The room yeah. Happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. There's something going on there. I don't know, but they get a hundred thousand dollars cash. Okay. So somebody following... had an affair. Somebody slept with somebody's <laughs> wife. Somebody like, yeah, that's what this was. And it's like the only way that I'm going to keep this under the rug is if you give yeah. me Babe Ruth. Babe Ruth for a hundred grand. Okay. So, which is crazy because, like, usually now, like, they trade player for player. Like, there might be money involved, but, like, just, like, a straight-up player for cash is, like, crazy. So. That's, like, right? selling humans. I hate that. Yeah. 
<laughs> so following the, the sale of Babe Ruth, okay, the once lackluster Yankees, they weren't very good, okay, ended up becoming one of the most dominant sports franchises in North America. Okay, so they literally like they, they won twice as many World Series as any other MLB team to this day, including the Red Sox. Okay. Holy shit. Yeah. So the curse became the focal point of the Yankees Red Sox rivalry over the years. Kales, guess how long th- this drought ended? So they won in 1918. They traded Babe Ruth in 19, ni- 1919, I think. Okay. And then guess how long it lasted before they won their next World Series? Didn't they win again in like 2008 or something? They won again in 2004. So okay. that was. I knew it was it was four years. I knew it was in our lifetime because I I remember when it happened because Uncle Rick lost his shit. Like yeah. I distinctly remember that happening. And eighty-four years. Wow. So it's two thousand four. Okay. Eighty-four years. I was like, I just remember it was sometime in our lifetime. Yeah. 84 years. And so and it was it was incredible because it was such an amazing story. Because oh, so you know what playing... 2008 was when the Red Sox beat the Rockies. That's why that year's in my yeah, head with the Red yeah. Sox. Four game sweep. That was a sad yeah, one. Fuck that. Fuck that, even, man. That's why. That's but that's why the Red Sox in 2008 is in my head. Yeah, but so anyway, in 2004, it was actually incredible because they were playing the Yankees in the in the American League Championship Series. Okay, so it was Yankees Red Sox. And it's a seven-game series, best of seven. So you got to win four games. Okay, the Red Sox were down three games to none to the Yankees. Okay, and then they came back and won four straight games to win the ALCS. And then they went on to win the World Series as of 2022. Okay, which actually we're in the 2023 season now. So for forever, right? All time, they're the. It's the only time an MLB team has won a best of seven playoff series after losing the first three games. It's never ever happened. That's in. Oh, so that's why when everybody was like the Rockies were lost the first three, they were like, "There's no fucking way." Yeah, no, no. <laughs> but but yeah, so it's incredible. So this curse has been such a part of Boston culture for such a long time that there was like a, a road sign in Boston that said "Reverse Curve." Okay, and it was on Longfellow Bridge over the city Storo drive. And it was graffiti to read reverse the curse when it was all ah! happening. And officials like the police and everybody left it. They didn't take it down. They left what? it there until the Red Sox won the 2004 world series. And then after that, they won the world series. They changed the road sign and edited it to reversed curse. Oh my God. Some marketing person just like <laughs> got a goddamn bonus. Like they oh, were yeah. on point with that slogan. Yeah. Yep. So, so that's the one with the great Bambino, which is incredible. Like 84 years. It's like so dumb. Like you're going to trade him for a hundred thousand dollars going to lose for 84 years, but then to come back, like what a story to then come that's back and the Yankees never happened before ever. Okay. So that's the first curse. The second curse is the curse of the black Sox, or also the curse of shoeless Joe Jackson. Okay. Does this have to do with the, 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 does this have to do with the movie? And the White Sox fucking paying off. Is this it that? does have to do with, yes! it. Does ha- it does have to do with that? Yeah. Yes! So this is a this is a very infamous story. The movie, the movie. There's a movie. Charlie Sheen's in it, and like um, Emilio Cassidy. Like th- there's people in it that you know. I, I think John Cusack's in it. Yeah, that's how I know about it. Called Eight Men Out is the movie. That's it. Yeah, 1988. 
Um, yeah, they like John, cheated. John or some Sales, shit. John Cusack, Charlie Sheen, David Strathern, yeah. John Mahoney. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so eight men out. And so so this was a very infamous scandal. Compensation was a little bit different, obviously, than it is today. Like we have guys signing like $350 million contracts and like all this kind of stuff. But they were kind of like back in this was in uh again the early 1900s, 1919. Um, yeah. 1920, 1921. Back then, they were still kind of working out like the union and everything, kind of how it works yeah. with like players getting paid and all that. And so, um, the owners... newsies, newsies takes place in 1899, which talks about the newspaper strike and the union of that. And that's when like, yeah. unionization became a thing. Yeah. And so, so baseball, they were still trying to work that out. And pretty much what it was was like the owners made pretty much all the money. Right. And of then, like, they, they kind of, yeah. And they still do, but, but obviously compensations come a long way with like the MLB players association and all those things that had developed, but they didn't have that back then. So a lot of the players were getting fed up because the owners were like, like, especially the owner of the black Sox. What's his okay. Wait, wait, wait. What are the black Sox? They're, they're the white Sox now, but they were. Oh, okay. I just they didn't just know. Names. I... Yeah. I they didn't just know that. changed name. So they had they had an owner named Charles Comiskey. Um, everybody hated the dude. Like he was just a dick. Like he just he just kind of was, you know, and they kind of talked about that like all the owners were probably kind of like this, but like everybody just on the Black Sox, all the players just like hated him because he was just like kind of a greedy bastard that like just you know took advantage. Like they played and then he made all the money and they, you know, didn't wow. really get compensated and all that. And so so <laughs> so what happened? was they were like well we're not getting paid so somebody came to them and was like hey I'll, we'll pay you guys right like a bookie or whatever it was like we'll pay you guys to throw the 1919 world series and all you have to do is you give us like you know we'll we'll pay you based upon every game that you lose because if they rigged it right then they can make a fuck ton of money so the guys yeah. are like and they were going to pay him like 50,000 a game, which is like crazy back then. In that you know time I mean? period, that's that's sure. a bunch of freaking money. Like they were going to pay him a bunch of money. They had eight of them that like came together and they were like, they were like, yeah, like we're going to do this. So they all met and they agreed to do it. And so what happened is in 1919, they, they were playing the Cincinnati Reds in the World Series and it, and it actually had gotten out that they were going to kind of like throw throw it. So like it got publicly out. So people were kind of like aware, like some of the broadcasters were like even talking about it. And they're like, like, let's see if. Wow. Yeah. So some of the broadcasters talking about it. Was that like not illegal at the time or. Oh, it's highly illegal, but they didn't have confirmation that it was actually happening. Oh, okay. Right. They didn't know that they were actually like, it was just, you know, hearsay. Right. Like the broadcaster, like even like talking about like, you know, saying, okay, like, let's see if there's anything funky going on or like whatever. Right. The first pitch was a strike. Okay. The pitcher's name was Chicote. He was in on the uh, fixing and rigging the game. He threw a strike on the first pitch of the series, <laughs> but then the second pitch, he plunked the lead off the guy in the back. Okay. Plunked the lead off hitter in the back. Okay. Oh, and that, that always was, makes me, that always makes yeah. me cringe. And that was the signal that they were going to rig it, that they were going to rig it. Oh my God. <laughs> Okay. No they wonder they made a the goddamn fridge. movie off of this. This shit yep. is like movie yeah. fodder. Yeah. So then they kind of went through the game. In the fourth inning, 
the pitcher made a bad throw to this guy at second base. That wasn't just like he slipped. That was like, that seemed like he kind of intentionally threw that ball away. All in all, what happened was they, they kept losing games. And so they, like I said, they were going to pay them after every game that they lost. Yeah. So they lost three in a row. Right. And back then it was a best of nine series. Holy shit. Fuck. But then what happened was the bookies. Okay. The gamblers (gasps) weren't paying them. No. (laughs) so they didn't pay them and so what they did was after so it said after game five they were starting to be angry about the fact that they weren't getting paid their money so then they tried to double cross the gamblers and try to win the series back now (gasps) no because they're like all right well you're not gonna pay us well then we're gonna fuck up all your bets right and so so then they won game six and seven, but so now they're like really not getting their money. And it's not like it was under contract because this thing's illegal. Why? <laughs> yep. I'm so stressed just listening to this. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I am very sorry. Um, it was not 50,000 a game. It was about um, 5,000 a game. And that then, would like, make main... way more sense. My bad. My bad. They said that's equivalent to like 78,000 a game. In yeah, 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 yeah. No, that's yeah. yeah like one of the main pitchers got like 35,000 or something like that, oh which was. Equivalent to 550,000, you know, so, but yeah, so they weren't paying them. But then when game eight started to happen, the the gamblers threatening violence on the players and their families. So they said, if you don't fucking throw this, we're going to start like attacking you and your family. Oh my God. Oh my God. So the White Sox ended up losing game eight and the series on October 9th, 1919. They did end up paying them. Okay, and that was where the five thousand came in and all that but stuff. But did anybody go to jail? Just wait. <laughs> okay. ah! So nothing happened in nineteen nineteen. The World Series is over. Everybody got paid out. The gamblers made a bunch of money, you know, all that stuff. Okay. Okay, but then like the federal government's like, what the fuck? So then we go to nineteen twenty. And so what happened was in nineteen twenty, obviously like all of this got out, you know, and they're like, we need to do a formal investigation. So a grand jury was convened to investigate. Okay. Oh my God. And Chicote, that pitcher that pitched game one, he confessed to his participation (gasps) in the scheme on September 28th. No, you don't like it. Like I did it. He was like, I did it, you know? Okay. So on the eve of their final season series, the White Sox were pretty much in a tie for first place with the Indians. The Sox needed to win all three of their remaining games. And then hope that the Indians didn't, right? And right, then they, they had to would, lose. Yeah, and then they would go and 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 be in the uh, be in the playoffs, chance to win another World Series. Yeah, yeah. Right before their last series, <laughs> the grand jury, like, so because of the investigation, okay, what happened was that Comiskey, the owner, the owner, suspended the seven <gasps> players. <laughs> okay, so not even. The ML, not even the Major League Baseball, not even the jury. The, the owner just like sus- said, you're fired. Yeah, he was like, he's like, you can't play anymore. So he <gasps> spent, suspended seven starters, seven guys that were still in the majors. And so they lost that series. Yeah. So and Comiskey actually gave them bonus checks for not being able to play. So like Comiskey apparently wasn't that bad of a guy. But oh, even he though the players fired. Said, no, no, no. You no, no. <laughs> paid yeah. them enough money in the first place and none of this would have happened. That's a good that's a good point. Okay. So then in 1921, oh they ended up, you know, pretty much 
convicting them, you know, being like, yeah, like this happened. Like this was a real thing after the investigation and all that stuff. They had intentionally fixed the 1919 world series. Quick note about shoeless Joe Jackson is he was like, how did he come into play? Yeah. So technically like he wasn't actually at any of the meetings, but they was like speculation that he was a part of it because he made some errors in the world series. Like, and he just didn't have a good series. So everybody was like, Oh, shoeless Joe, like fixed it, whatever, whatever, you know? And he was like, no, like I didn't participate in that at all. He's like, I just sucked. Like that was like, I just did. I didn't do that. But the reason fun, fun fact, the reason he's called shoeless Joe is because he had like a really bad, uh, like blister on his foot before a gaming so he took off his cleats and he went up to the box without shoes on so he has this famous quote that says god knows i gave my best in baseball at all times and no man on earth can truly judge me otherwise and that's just where he left it at he was like because everybody was wow. like he cheated he whatever and he was just like that's some shit god, man yeah like god knows that i didn't cheat so real quick the eight players that were that were indicted uh arnold chick gandal first baseman um, he was the layer leader of the guys that ran on the fix. Eddie Chicote, which was the pitcher, um, Oscar Happy Felch. Um, Shoeless Joe was indicted, but he still says that he he didn't do it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Fred McMullen, Charles Swede Risberg, um, George Buck Weaver, and Claude Lefty Williams. Wow, crazy! This makes me want to go watch that movie. <laughs> it's yeah, it's I think it's a good one. So, but like, um, how did it go to the curse? Like, what? So. Perfect. Perfect lead in. Okay. So that was the curse. So the, the Black Sox <laughs> did not win another World Series until 1958. Holy shit. So 1920, 38 years, they didn't win. Wow, shit. that sucks. So everybody said that it was the curse of the Black Sox and the fact that they yeah. gambled on it and fixed it. And that was the curse. Wow. Okay? So. Billy Go. Two Billy cra- Go. Two- Billy Go. <laughs> <laughs> Two crazy stories, but now we're here for the absolute crazy. Billy go, okay? Billy go, Billy go. The one, the one Mikhail has been waiting for. Billy go, right. Billy go, Billy go. All right, so here's the curse of the Billy goat. It has to do with the Chicago Cubs. This just also gives context to the podcast, real quick. Do you want to know what I know about the Cubs? What do you know about the Cubs? <laughs> I know that the very first baseball player to ever be on Dancing with the Stars, who came in second, was their catcher. <laughs> David Ross. Yep. He's actually their current manager now. Yes, I did know that also. He got a real <laughs> publicity bump and everybody was pissed because he was a really shitty dancer and he only got up that high because Chicago broke said Billy Goat curse like that year, which is why he was on the show and why yeah. he did so well because he was so popular at the time. Literally all I know about the Cubbies. That's so funny. Well, you're about to learn more. The curse of the Billy Goat infamous totally infamous okay so this happened in like an underground burger bar in chicago so in 1945 okay here's what happened so this guy named william sanias he brought his pet goat named murphy (laughs) into the stadium and apparently at that time that was acceptable like apparently it was like okay that brings people were cool with that a whole new level yeah yeah i mean like i guess if like you know you wanted to like get rid of some tin cans or like any trash like you know whatever yeah yeah that was jammed or some shit like oh my god and so it said that what so he brought his pet goat in and then apparently quote it was like it, the goat was bothering other fans. So the pair were asked to leave the stadium, which okay. like makes sense. Cause like, if you got a goat in the stadium, like goats are not 
Like they're kind that, of bothered. They're not though. as well behaved, man. <laughs> Goats will be like, oh, let me just eat that cup right there. Like, <laughs> like you know, we're just bothered. Like, oh, you got some just... popcorn? Like, nah, 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 let me just eat your shirt. No big deal. Yeah, like, oh, yeah. you looked. You looked at me funny, motherfucker. You looking over at me? I'm gonna hit your ass. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So like, it's a goat. Like that. That's what goats do. Okay, and so. So they got asked to leave. Sianus is outraged. He's pissed. He's like, are you kidding me? He's like, I can't bring my fucking goat to the baseball field. This is insane. This is, and this is, this is unjust. Okay. This is persecution at its finest. So he's outraged. So then he says, he goes, them Cubs, they ain't going to win no more. Okay. That's what he says. Right. He's like, them Cubs, they ain't going to win no more. Yep. Macbeth cursed this shit like no, say nope. anything he just that said was they're all. not gonna He's, win. He didn't like throw some voodoo dolls at like nothing. Nope. Nope. Wow. Yeah. But then later, okay, he didn't like so, throw like, some curse, like he didn't like turn like an upside down cross or anything and like nothing. Nope. Just was like, you ain't gonna win no. He didn't more. like mooshu. He didn't mooshu that shit. <laughs> dishonor. Nope. Dishonor on your whole family. Dishonor on you. Dishonor on your cow. Dishonor on your cow. Nothing. <laughs> no, nope. Wow. Plain and simple. But he had a lot of feelings behind win. it. They ain't gonna win no more. They ain't gonna win no more. And so what happened was so that was like during the season or whatever. So then he sent a telegram to the to the team owner. I'm sorry. Yeah, te- telegram. Yeah. Wait, this is like the 1945 equivalent of tweeting out your outrage. Fucking cubbies couldn't bring my goat to the game. Stop. He was bothering other <laughs> players. Stop. Hashtag goats for life. Hashtag you ain't gonna cubbies win ain't sport. win no more. You ain't gonna win no more. Stop. No. <laughs> The only thing I have a reference to a telegram is the movie Balto. Um, when they asked the oh solo God. telegram, Talk and he's, about like, memory and <laughs> <laughs> he's like, he's like, needs need medicine supplies. Stop. And it's like the dog with like the ears or whatever. Yes. Yeah. Great movie. Kevin Bacon. Yeah. Awesome performance. Okay. So he sends God, a telegram. We just brought up Balto and Spy Kids in all one episode, y'all. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. We do it for the fans. We do it for you guys. All right. Um, so he dispatched a telegram that said, you're going to lose this World Series and you're going to never win another World Series again. You're never going to win a World Series again because you insulted my goat. Did The, the goat was named Murphy? Murphy. Oh my God. <laughs> okay, so whatever the truth, in, the ni- in 1945, the Cubs were up two games to one in the World Series, but ended up losing game four. It's a best of seven they series. Um, They're playing the Detroit Tigers. Okay, that's a team. Okay. But then... Okay, they ended up losing the series. Okay, so then of course it just gets blown the hell up, right? By the news, it goes viral. It It goes nineteen forty-five viral. The tweet goes viral, right? (laughs) The telegram goes viral. Because people are retweeting the hell of it, all of it, dude, just totally viral. And people are like, "Oh my gosh, it's the curse of the Billy Goat." Like we lost, like it's because of this. Like, like we lost the World Series. Okay, whatever. Now this is where it gets really interesting. These are what we call, quote, alleged curse incidents. <laughs> okay. And, okay. <laughs> and these okay. are these are incidents that have been attributed to the curse of the Billy Goat. Okay. All and right. why the Cubs haven't won. It, it's why it's why David Ross lost Dancing with the Stars. I'm kidding. Bring it on. Go. Okay. On September 9th, 1969 at Shea Stadium, Cubs were playing the Mets in a critical pennant race game. 
A stray black cat walked between the Cubs captain Shut Ron Santo, <laughs> who was on deck, and the Cubs dugout. The Mets pull ahead of the Cubs in that series and eventually win the NL East and the 1969 oh, World Series. Okay, what is wrong with the Cubby Stadium? <laughs> well, this is actually in this. It's all baseball stadiums apparently because that was in New York. So oh, maybe it's just okay. big city. Maybe it's big city. I don't know. God, what the fuck? Bring in these wild ass animals. I thought it was just the birds that weren't safe. Yeah. And and so some of these, a lot of these, like I'll, I'll kind of go through like the funnier ones, but some of them are just like 1984, their first postseason appearance since 1945. Um, they were ahead and then they lost, right? Like they were up two games. That's to none, lame. They lost no, three. give me the black cat ones. I yeah, want the black yeah. cat ones. Right. But like different instances where they just kept losing, dude. It was just <laughs> like ridiculous. Oh 1984, 1989, 2001. Like they're making the playoffs and they just keep losing, right? Oh my okay. God. Okay, in 2003, this one is so infamous. In 2003, the Cubs won the NL Central, beat the beat the Braves in the NLDS for their first postseason win since 1908. They had not won a oh postseason series since 1908. Okay. Oh my God, Chicago so, so, was on the edge of its seat. Yeah, so it's, yeah, Chicago's like bursting at the seams. They're ready. Okay, so advanced to the NLCS to face the Florida Marlins. The Cubs held a three game to two lead in the best of seven series going into game six. Okay, so they just got to win the game. If they win yeah. the game, they go to the World Series. Okay? Oh my God, this hurts my heart. In the eighth inning of game six, okay, with Chicago ahead, what happened? Like nothing. somebody just like brought out a ladder and like oh, the batter had to like tails. swing a it's thing worse. under a ladder. It's worse. Did it's like worst. somebody break a glass? Is there a mirror in the Florida Marlins stadium and someone just broke it? And it was worse. like, oh, fucking six to seven more years. What the it's, fuck happened? It's worse. Okay. How? The Cubs are ahead three to nothing in the game. What inning right? are we in? We're in the eighth inning. So there's a foul ball. Right. Louis Castillo from the Marlins. It's a foul ball off to the yeah. left hand field line. Okay. And we're it, in Florida. We're in Chicago. Okay. Okay. That's important. We're in Chicago. Okay, and, and how Wrigley Field is set up. So so you have like down the left field line, you have these seats that are up and there's like the brick, right? It's like the ivy. Okay. Sure. Like it's like brick wall, you know. I've only ever seen that stadium from the outside. So sure. Okay. Okay. So it's a brick wall. And so, but you have like a space between the foul line and then like the stands. You have like probably like five feet worth of space, right? To be able to like where the player can catch the ball, right? Yes. But also the fans can like technically reach yeah, yeah, out yeah, yeah. We've seen and it. like, yeah. Okay. Be assholes. Right. So the ball is dropping. Okay. The, <laughs> the outfielder Moises Alou is like going to catch this ball. Like he's pretty much underneath it. Okay. That would be two outs in the eighth inning, which means they're four outs away from oh winning God. the NLCS. Okay. 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 Several fans reached out their, reached out their hands. Why? They attempted to catch it. They attempted to catch it. Okay. Well, they know, but they should know better. Yeah, they should. Okay. This one guy named Steve Bartman. Oh, God. If he has a name, this is just bad. <laughs> he reached for the ball. He, like, held he out did... a mirror and let it no, just the ball, no. ball crash he on him. He went to catch it. He went to catch it. <gasps> he did it kill it. him? No. No. <laughs> uh, I don't know. <laughs> no. He, he, it hit his hand. Okay. He deflected it. <gasps> and and so Moises Alou didn't get to catch the ball. Now there is a video. Michele, I'll just send you a video real quick. You watching it? Oh my God. <gasps> yeah. 
No. <laughs> so you see how angry the outfielder is, and like, dude, like he can just tell that he fucked up right away. Like he just knows that he fucked it up, and he's oh infamous. Like, he's got God. his headphones and then he on. Didn't even catch it. No, he didn't even catch it, and he's got his headphones on, and like it's this whole deal, dude. It's this oh, whole no, deal. This poor guy. Poor Steve Bartman, man. Oh no! If Alou had caught the ball, it would have been the second out in the inning. Cubs were just four outs away from winning their first National League pennant since 1945, since the curse started. Instead, McKaylee, oh my the God. Cubs ended up surrendering eight runs in the <gasps> inning and lost the game eight to three. And then they were eliminated in the seventh game the next night. Oh no! Everybody blamed Bartman, and like, dude, no, that's the guy not went there. No, because it, there's so many other things, but everybody's like, it was the first domino and they all blamed Barton, dude. And like, he talks about, he's like, dude, it was so horrible of like oh, a time in my life. My he's like, I wish I never would have reached for that ball. Yeah, he's doing okay now. I'm sure, 20, so. hey, I don't think anybody was happier in 2016 when they ended up winning that shit than Steve Bartman, man. I'm just saying Holy though, but shit. Steve Bartman should have like sued for defamation or some shit. Before I get to 2016 to wrap the whole story up, and ended on a happy note because the 2016 yeah, right now I'm just crying over Steve Bartman over here. Yeah. Yeah. You and all of our listeners, I think too, there was actually some really bizarre attempts to break the curse. Okay. Like, we're reverse gonna, it? Yeah. 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 They were like, we gotta, we gotta Did they bring a, a Billy goat back in the stadium. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. <laughs> but the first thing that happened was William Cianus. In October 22nd of 1970, William Cianus, the guy who originally put the curse on it, attempted yeah. to lift the curse himself. Nope, dude. You you once you opened that, you oh you squeezed all that toothpaste out. Yeah, you ain't gonna yeah. reverse that shit. So Sam Cianus, his nephew, went to Wrigley Fail with a goat multiple times in an attempt to break the curse, including on opening day in 1984 and again in 1989. You know, the okay. problem is, is that they kept extending it because they kept bringing goddamn goats into a baseball stadium. <laughs> <laughs> they just don't belong there in 2003 which was the chinese zodiac year of the goat um a group of cub fans headed to houston with the billy goat named virgil homer and attempted to gain entrance to minima park which is the home of the astros which were division rivals to the cubs at the time i've after been there they were denied after they were denied entrance they unfurled a scroll read a verse and proclaimed that they were reversing the curse the Cubs actually won the division that year and then came within five outs of playing the World Series until the Steve Bartman incident. Oh, my God. OK, but the, the you know, the goat wasn't named Murphy. In 2008, a Greek Orthodox priest sought to end the curse during the 2008 playoffs with the spraying of holy water in and around the Cubs dugout. <laughs> that's a good use of <laughs> Greek Orthodox Church. Well done. <laughs> Maybe they should have done that to Spider-Man turn off the dark. On April 1st, 2011, a social enterprise called Reverse the Curse, dedicated to bring innovations to poverty by giving goats to families in developing countries. That that started being a thing. On September 22nd, 2013, this group of five guys consumed a 40-pound goat in 13 minutes and 22 seconds. (laughs) (laughs) Fandoms are nuts. They're insane. It's literally insane. Like, it's, it's just psychotic. It's incredibly fascinating now to the happy ending of the story okay so the curse yes. ended in, in 2016 and it was actually just like maybe the, the only the good end, thing that happened that year right just like the end of the curse of the bambino it was an incredible incredible story okay 
The Cubs had an incredible season. They went 103 and 58, which is a 640 winning percentage. It was their first 100 win season since 1935. Okay. And their best since 1910. Um, they won the NLCS, their first pennant in 71 years with a 5 0 shutout in game six against the Dodgers, which is like incredible because the Dodgers are a powerhouse. Yeah, they're okay? nuts. And that curse. So they did that on October 22nd, 2016. That curse of them reaching the World Series, right? Yeah. Okay. Which was part of the curse because it yes. was like reach and win. That was broken on the 46th anniversary of Billy Sianis' death. Wow. All right. That's weird, right? Come on. I mean, sure. In this game, I was watching this game. I was a freshman in college. Okay, I'm watching this game. I'm going to school in Iowa. I got a bunch of Cubs fans. Okay, bunch of Cubs fans. This game was insane. Okay, this is game game seven of the World okay, Series. Okay, they go to all the way to seven. Okay, I so couldn't remember. all the way to seven. Game seven. They're playing the Indians. Aroldis Chapman is on the mound. This is one of the best closers. He was unhittable. I mean, he was like he threw the ball 106 miles an hour. Like, like that's this guy was insane. There's this guy named Rajay Davis. Okay, Rajay Davis is like a defensive specialist career probably like around 200 hitter doesn't hit for a lot of power rolls chapman throws this pitch down and Arazi davis just gets the barrel to the ball <laughs> and hits a bomb like Jesus a bomb Christ. hooks it inside so the, the indians take it they get the out they're up okay they're up yeah in the game. it starts pouring rain like what? pouring rain like it was kind of drizzling you know like a little bit but like it starts pouring guys just rip open and it's like ripping ripping open rain dude just absolutely freaking pouring rain they call a rain delay which is crazy because like the moment like the indians have all the momentum in the world that's definitely a thing in sports it's a hundred percent yeah the rain delay lasts for 17 minutes that's it 17 minutes so it pours open Uh, enough that they gotta call a rain delay but then it only lasts 17 minutes Wow. So what do the Cubs get to go do? They went in the clubhouse and Joe Madden, the manager at the time, you know, he's like, I'm not going to give some speech or like something. He's like, I'm just going to, we're just going to go around. Everybody's going to say how they feel. How are you feeling right now? What's going on with you? You know? And guys were just like, dude, I'm fucking terrified. You know what I mean? Like, I want to win yeah. this game so bad. Like, you know, and, and he's like, and Kyle Schwarber was like, it, it was the most therapeutic healing thing in the world for us to just like, get it out there with each other like we had been yeah, like, through all this all year. i'm scared too you ain't yeah. alone yeah anthony rizzo said that it was uh the most important thing to happen for the chicago the rain delay was the most important thing to happen in chicago because in the past 100 years i don't think there's any wow. way we win that game without it okay wow. because they came they came out of the rain delay and they were like we're winning this game oh my god so here's what happened with the game tied nine to nine after nine innings right so this is in the ninth inning. That's when the rain delay happened. When play resumed at the top of the tent, Kyle Schwarber promptly let off with a single. Chris Bryant hits a deep fly ball to center. Alvaro Moore tags, goes to second base because oh they God. had a faster runner in there. They intentionally walk the next guy. Then Ben Zobers comes up. He's 0 for 4 in the game, but then hits a double into the left field corner, making the score <gasps> 7 to 6. And then they ended up scoring one more. Another cl- clutch hit to left. And top then they of this is in the top of the 10th. Top of the 10th. Okay. And then they close out the game and win. Oh my God. <laughs> and that ends the drought. Wow. Literally ends the drought. The rain. Oh my God. 
So it's like, dude, I don't know about curses and all that stuff, but all I know is some of this shit was like incredibly poetic. Like yeah. the curse of the Bambino and beating the Yankees down 0-3. That's never happened. The Cubs, a, a freaking rain delay in the ninth inning that's that lasts so cool. for 17 minutes when the Indians had all the momentum and they got to yeah. just like come together and then to end the drought and end the curse of the Billy Goat. It's like, oh my God. Bonkers, Your story dude. is so much more hopeful than mine at the end. Mine is just like, <laughs> we just put like $60 million down the drain and Spider-Man uh, never made a musical. Isn't that funny? Yeah, <laughs> and you're like, there was this hundred curse. And it, yeah. So. <laughs> but yeah. It came Sorry, back and won it. So what'd you learn? What'd you learn? Don't bring Billy goats into baseball stadium. <laughs> Yeah, thank you all for listening so much. I'm Kales, theater geek. I'm John Michael. I played a lot of baseball. And uh, we hope you learned something today.